Good morning, everyone. Uh, The Bible reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we'll be reading from verse 5 to verse 20. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things that the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, as you now are. probably heard that there are apparently four different learning styles. So there's auditory learners, apparently, who get a lot from listening. And then there's reading, writing learning styles who get a lot from reading and writing, obviously. There's kinesthetic learners who learn from doing. And there's visual learners who learn by seeing. I wonder if you have an inkling of what kind of learner you are curious to see actually if if you're um if you think maybe you're an auditory learner raise your hand 
Okay. I, I should have included a whole heap more diagrams today, obviously. <laughs> I think I saw about, um, about 10. What about reading, writing kind of learners? Raise your hand. Okay, a fair few more. Kinesthetic learners learn by doing. All right, excellent. They, uh, they're smashing a piñata of idols this afternoon. You guys probably should um, go along to that kind of thing. Visual learners. Okay, so um, less on the kind of auditory reading, writing style and more on the other. Now, I remember doing a quiz to figure out what my learning style was when I was at Bible college. And I discovered for myself that I scored zero in auditory, zero in reading and writing. And my preference was equally split between visual and kinesthetic learning. And so for me personally, when I ask someone for directions, if they kind of draw me a map or they kind of walk me through the directions, I'm happy, I love it. If they just start speaking the directions, I kind of nod politely, glaze over and look up Google Maps afterwards. I much prefer visual, I much prefer kinesthetic kind of learning which was a bit of a worry to me when I learned this at Bible college because everything that we were doing was reading, writing, auditory kind of things. And also it kind of niggled at me because I knew that a big part of my role into the future would be to read and to understand the Bible and then to speak what it says like I'm going to be doing right now. That's auditory, reading, writing kind of things. Christians can't escape reading, writing, auditory kind of things because they're really central to how God makes himself known. They're really central to how he's chosen to reveal himself. Now, sometimes, I've got to admit, I I wish the Bible had diagrams in it, you know, kind of God-revealed diagrams. It has metaphors, it has word pictures, and And it has lots of practical implications for what we are to do in our lives, things that are to be lived out. But there's no denying that overwhelmingly God's word is auditory. It's reading, writing. The way that God's chosen to reveal himself in this world in depth is in his actions in the world and in speaking out what those actions mean, written down for us, in these books that we're holding, the Bible. Why? Why does God make himself known like this? You know, for me, a a picture speaks a thousand words. For me, actions speak louder than words. And yet, while those things are true in their own way, when it comes to relating to someone, when it comes to really knowing someone, words are critical, aren't they? be pretty hard to imagine how you could maintain a marriage where every time you tried to communicate with your partner, they just sort of jotted, jotted you down a little picture. It, it just doesn't work. You'd never get to know them. Words are critical when it comes to relating to someone. And actions speak loudly. Actions speak powerfully. But again, unless actions are accompanied by words, well, they can easily be misunderstood. They can be missed altogether. Words are critical when you really encounter someone, where you really encounter them is in 
their communication. That's where you get to know them. That's why I can never listen to that song, uh, When You Say Nothing At All. Do you remember that song? It always sort of makes me smile. You say it best when you say nothing at all. Really? (laughs) Does he mean that? To me, it just sounds like, Dal, it's probably just best if you just shut your mouth. (laughs) Now, I know that's not at all what he's trying to say. I think what he's trying to say is her just being there, her smile, her touch, her support, it means the world to him. Really, I think what he's saying is that her actions are consistent with her words of love. Where someone's actions and their words are united, see, that's where you really encounter them, isn't it? Words and actions united, that's where you encounter that person. And that's where we encounter God. It's in his actions and his words, interpreting those actions, in them united. That's what we see today in in this second of the Ten Commandments. We've been doing a series that we're going to stop and start across several months uh, where we'll look at each of the Ten Commandments. Last week, we saw that we shouldn't have any gods beside God alone. This week, we see in Exodus 20... In verse 4, God says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What we see in this commandment is that God is the living, speaking God. Do you ever find yourself in prayer struggling to feel like you know exactly how to pray you know it's hard sometimes to know how to direct your thinking as you're praying do you ever feel like sometimes you're just you're just praying into the void who should you picture as, as that you're actually talking to surely it would be helpful to have something to to focus your mind focus your thoughts now if that object or that thing if you attributed any real significance or any real power, that would be bad. But couldn't a piece of art or a sculpture evoke feelings within you and in some way transport you beyond yourself to encounter God? Well, God's answer is a resounding no. Why? Why does God have such a problem with representations of himself? Part of the reason, a big part of the reason, is because A representation of God cannot bring you closer to God. It can only lead you away from God. Because what's represented in an an image or physical thing is nothing at all like the true God. See, whatever you, you create to try and represent God, it'll fail. God simply, it cannot be encountered that way. We'll come back to this. We'll see why in a minute. But I think it's worth just noticing that for most of us, this commandment probably, it seems pretty distant. It's not really part of our everyday life experience these days. You know, we look around our world, you just don't see too many images of God, too many representations of God out there in our culture at least, do you? We meet in a gym. There's not too much religious iconography going on in here. If there's stained windows, there's sort of handprints, there's nothing decorative or anything like that. 
But in their world, 3,000 years ago, over 3,000 years ago, it was so different. I mean, their world was more like India. There were images of gods everywhere. It was completely unheard of back then to talk about there being just one God. And it was completely bizarre in that world to have no representation of your God. Now, I thought we'd, we'd briefly chat to Wim. Wim, do you want to come up? Wim's our, uh, one of our linked mission partners in Cambodia, so quite a different place to us. Uh, a place where Wim's actually lived for such a long time that I think it's almost like home for Wim. He's there with um, Micah, his wife, and Esther and Tobias, as, as most of you know. Um, Wim serves the church over there by translating uh, key kind of useful resources for the church into Khmer, uh, which is critical for the health of the church. Now, Wim's actually over here because he's had surgery, but we're putting him to work asking him these questions. Anyway, that was two weeks ago. Wim, start with how are you feeling? How's the recovery going? Yeah, so it was a hernia operation on both sides, and I'm recovering well. Uh, They sent me home the same day, so that's a good sign. I think that uh, freaked out Hazel and... uh, Micah quite a bit. <laughs> it did, but I had the surgeon behind me. So, But um, yeah, every day is going a little bit better. I can stand up straight now. I can walk and sit for a long time. And uh, this Tuesday, I have my final checkup. And Thursday, I hope to fly back to Cambodia on Reformation Day. So it's going to be uh, diet of worms, uh, 10,000 uh, 10, meters altitude. <laughs> this is Luther, not uh, the food. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, and how are uh, Micah and Esther and Tobias going while you've been away? Um, busy, and uh, we, we miss each other, of course. So um, for me, it's a bit um, more exciting because I get to meet you guys, and there's lots of things happening, staying with John and Hazel. Uh, but I'm very happy to go back, and, and they'll be happy to see me again. Now... I thought we'd ask you what it's like, because for us, we just don't know that world. But Cambodia, it's a, it's a mostly Buddhist country. Um, what, are, what is it like with images and representations of, um, of the divine and the supernatural? I've got a picture that you sent me. Speak us through what it's like over there. Yeah, this is a picture that I took at a temple. It looks more, more like a second-hand shop. Um, <laughs> and Buddhism is strictly atheistic, um, but you see images all over the place, not just in the temples, but also in people's houses. Um, often a Buddha statue, you've got a few there. And um, although the Buddha claimed to be a mere teacher, he is raised to a level of almost a god, and they pray to him and so on. Okay, so um, they give these images and objects kind of a supernatural significance in their life? Would that be right? Yes. So the Buddha would never have wanted that. But uh, my theory is that Buddhism is so sterile, they still need to fill that void of the spirits and demons and gods and soul and so on, all those things that are denied in Buddhism. And so, yes, they they mix animism and Buddhism and um, lots of images, not just uh, the Buddha, but also, say, Chinese maxims, religious phrases, uh, over uh, a, a shop door or something, which brings good luck and prosperity and good business. And just how common are they? Would you, could you go through a day without sort of encountering them, or are they pretty much in most homes, most shops? Most homes and most shops, yes. Even if um, 
a shop is owned by a Cambodian, you often still see the Chinese phrases because, yeah, the more the merrier and you want to hedge your bets kind of thing. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Thanks, Wim. Yeah, That's well. really helpful just to get a different kind of picture of um, the wider world. You know that it's actually Christianity that's, that's changed so much of our world in this regard. So right up until Christianity took hold in the world, images of gods were just everywhere. Do you know what Romans called Christians because they didn't have any images of their gods? Atheists. You're the first real atheist if you're a Christian. They called us atheists because that's how foreign it was not to have representations of your gods. So what God is saying here is hard for us to grasp, but it is so countercultural. It's extremely countercultural. It's it's something that made the people of God completely unique to the rest of the world. They were not to make an image of him. And the reason is because God says images completely distort his character. Have a look at Habakkuk 2 verse 18 where God says, of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone. Wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. Do you see God's problem with an image? What can an image teach you about God? Only lies. Because no matter how beautiful it is, how complex it is, how breathtaking, how enlightened, how awe-inspiring, still an image can only lie to you about the nature and character of God. Why? Well, first, because it's lifeless. God, on the other hand, is the living God. His name that he he revealed to Moses at the beginning of Exodus is Yahweh, which is closely linked to how God calls himself, I am, that I am. In Revelation 4 verse 8, God is eternally worshipped with these words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Any representation of God that we make, by its very nature, denies this essential characteristic of God. God alone is pure existence. He's the living God. Now, the other reason that God is so against images is because a representation of God is silent. An image can't speak. It can't give guidance. Whereas the true and living God is the speaking God. Do you know this about God? This is so critical to how he defines himself, how he describes himself. The way to encounter God is through his words. You know, now reading before in Deuteronomy, Moses describes when God first gave them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, as it's also called. In Deuteronomy 4.11, he says to them, You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. Now there was plenty to see that day. Fire, smoke, darkness. But Moses goes on, 
you heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow. And again, a couple of verses later, he says in verse 15, You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape. How did they encounter God? What did God think mattered as they met him? Not what they saw, but what they heard. God is the speaking God. Even a little bit later when Moses wants to see God's glory, what he sees in the end is God declaring his name and his character. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You encounter God in his word. Now, I reckon this is difficult for us to accept. We've got an extremely strong tendency to want to reduce God to relate to him as if he were within creation, as if he were a human like us. And this is not simply a kind of innocent yearning to relate to God in in human tangible ways. It's actually more sinister than that. If we're truly honest, in our hearts, we want to try and have some control over God. We want to contain him. And when he speaks, if we don't like what he says, we sometimes even want to silence him. And this brings us to our next point. We try to contain God sometimes and even to silence him. You know, that's what images are all about, actually. They're one way that we try to contain God. They're one way that we try to silence God. In Romans 1, Paul writes that we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. And Paul writes that God is angry for us, with us for preferring a lie to God himself, to preferring our made-up gods. Do you know that the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, having been saved out of Egypt, having walked through the Red Sea parted, having days earlier heard the voice of God address them directly from the mountain, do you know what they do? They make a golden calf. They say, this is our God who brought us up out of Egypt. But in their minds, they didn't think they were abandoning God. They think they've found a better way of encountering Yahweh, their God. God was too much for them, too terrifying. That's why they wanted Moses to mediate on their behalf with God. And God says that was a good thing. But while Moses was do that, doing that, while he was up on the mountain speaking with God on their behalf, they came up with an even better plan. They created an image to mediate God to them. Something tangible, something familiar, something they could contain. And what followed that day was adultery and drunkenness and wild partying. Before they had even been established as a nation, they were already threatening their very identity and their future. That's always what follows our attempts to contain God, actually. Always what follows attempts to contain God is mess and wrong 
Because a false idea of God always leads to a false idea of how we should worship Him. In fact, you become like what you worship. If you worship lifeless things, you become dead and lifeless yourself. If you worship senseless things, you become senseless, dull, blind to the truth. And in the end, our very destiny is caught up with what we worship. Jeremiah says this in um, Jeremiah ten fourteen. He says, images make a mockery of God and a mockery of the one who worships, worships them. He says, everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. The images he makes are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless, the objects of mockery. When their judgment comes, they will perish. God is the speaking God. He's always been like that. And he always will be. You know, think about right from the beginning, God speaks all creation into existence. As one song says, and as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. See, God is the speaking God. God speaks with Adam. He makes Adam to be his very conversation partner. He designs Adam out of all the creatures to hear his voice and to understand him. God speaks to Moses. He reveals his name, his character. God speaks to the people at Sinai. He shows them who he is, what he loves. God speaks via the prophets, calling his people back time and time again. And God has spoken in Jesus, who is called the very word of God himself. This is the ultimate way God speaks. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son. And then the writer says in verse 3, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. See that? Jesus is the one true, exact representation of God. He is the one true image of God. Not in how he looks as a man, but in his actions and his words. He is himself God, the Son, making God known. So God is the speaking God. It's who he is and it's who he still is. He still speaks today. And this brings us to our final point. Jesus changes our hearts so that we long to hear God speak. A little bit later in Hebrews 3 verse 7, the writer quotes Psalm 95 and he says that the Holy Spirit is still speaking today. He writes, so as the Holy Spirit says, see that? The Holy Spirit is still speaking through Scripture, through this ancient Psalm. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Jesus, he softens our hearts so that we want to hear God's voice, so that we want to hear him speak. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes so that we see that it's Jesus who is the exact representation of God, that he is the true way that we encounter God. Now, I don't think that we're particularly at risk 
as a people of making images of God as a way of trying to encounter Him. I don't reckon that's our struggle. You know, not too many of us would be like those in Cambodia. Not too many of us are going to have images at, at home that we uh, attribute some kind of supernatural power to. Religions still do this, of course, today. And even some Christians and, and churches still do this today. You know, they have religious images that, that aren't at all appropriate. But I don't think it's our danger. I think it's one of the blessings of meeting in a gym like this. We're, we're just probably less, in likely to tr- less likely to try and encounter God through objects or even rituals. And I think even if we were in the Sistine Chapel, you know, we looked up and saw Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam with God reaching out. I don't think that we'd be inclined to think and to fall into the trap of thinking that a representation of God like that could help us encounter God. That's an amazing work of art. But does it represent God? Does it take you closer to God? I don't think that we're likely to think that way. That that could help focus our mind on God in a way that's helpful. Am I really to think of God as an old, incredibly white man? We know God's not encountered through images. He's encountered through his word. But there are other ways that we try to contain God. There are other ways of of trying to encounter God while not really wanting to hear him speak. You know, like the surfer who says, out there in the waves... That's as close to God as I'll ever get. That's as close to God as I'll ever want to be. You know, or the the person in nature, you might have heard people say this. For me, God is there in the wind, in the trees, in the wilderness. Or the person who wants to encounter God through crystals or objects or experiences like yoga, meditation. These things, they aren't how we encounter God. At best, what we're experiencing in them is is the works of God, the gifts of God. But to treasure nature and and equate that experience with knowing God himself, it's actually hurtful to God. It's like a teenager eating the dinner that their mum's put before them, that they've made, without showing any interest in her, treasuring what she's made but not caring about her as a person. See, that would be to reduce her to what she produces when she's so much more than the dinner she puts on the table. It's like saying to God when we do that, God, you say it best when you say nothing at all. But God says, no, I'm the living, speaking God. You know me by listening to what I say about myself. We don't get to dictate to God who he should be. And how he should reveal himself to us. You know, we don't actually get to do that with anyone. One time at an interview, someone asked me as one of the interview questions, who is Stephen? And as I started to answer this incredibly awkward question, after a minute or so, she stopped me and said, no, 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 no. Who is Stephen? Apparently she felt that my self-revelation of myself was wrong for some reason. Let's just say I found it very hard to open up after that experience. I don't think she ever got the real Stephen. If you want to encounter someone truly, 
You have to listen to them and let them reveal themselves to you. You can't dictate the way that they've got to do it and who they must be before you listen to them. Now, if this is true for humans, why do we think it would be different for God? Why do we think we could say to him, no, show me who you are a different way? No, I don't like what you're showing me about yourself. Show me something else. It's not true that you can come to God however you want, however you please, and find him whatever path you want to take. That's not even true for people, let alone for the living, speaking God. But are we vulnerable of this, us here? Are we vulnerable of of trying to reduce and contain God? Well, I think we are. We are if we stop listening to God, if we stop listening to God's word. You know, more and more it's common to have churches where the Bible's not read, never read out. And where scripture's not even preached, where instead of engaging with God's word, that the sermon is a bit more like a pep talk, where you hear someone's own personal reflections on how to do life well, rather than hearing the voice of God. We're not immune to this though. Do you ever feel like there are some weeks here where you just wish we could skip to the next chapter in what we're working through? Maybe you felt like this in the series in 1 Corinthians that we just finished. Some of those weeks were so confronting, so countercultural. I mean, if we're honest, aren't we just tempted to want to cut those bits from God? I went to a church when I was on holidays where they told us to turn to the person next to us and to say to them, you're wonderful. Is that the kind of church that we want to be? Is that what we want to hear? Because we're wonderfully made. We heard that with Alwyn's dedication. And we're made for wonderful things. But when the living, true God speaks, he says we've fallen far short of who we were made to be. And God tells us that our rejection of him, it's not wonderful. We might not like what God says to us. But does that mean that we'll stop listening when God dares to speak about our sex lives, our money, or our priorities, our loves and our hates, our purpose in life? When he dares speak into our marriages, our parenting, or our work, or when he dares to tell us that we're made to live for him and to hear his voice, to love him with all of our hearts and souls and mind and strength. When we don't like what he says, will we really instead seek to contain and even silence him? See, I think the reality is we've all done it. We all at times have preferred our made-up version of God over the living, speaking God. But if that's what we do, if that's the God that we settle on, that's devastating for us. Because God is far, far more beautiful in who he really is than in who we think he should be. You know, there are lots of things about God that don't fit with our modern way of thinking. But you know what? God has always been like that. There's never ever been a time in the history of the world when the true God just blended in. 
God has never fit with the way that most people in the world think. He's always been countercultural, just like when he says, you shall not make any images of me. He's always been infinitely more holy and more righteous than the world around us, while at the very same time being infinitely more loving and compassionate. I think it's, it's a real temptation for us to bring God into line with what we know to be true from our culture or what we think we know. But to do that, we would have to close our ears to who God reveals himself to be in Scripture. We might not carve a literal image, but we too are at risk of bowing down to something of our own creation, a false representation of God. One of you were telling me a couple of months ago that in your own journey towards God as an adult, when you moved to Adelaide, you found yourself questioning and, and questioning God. And even though you heard God give answer after answer to your questions, still you wouldn't trust him. You, just, you wouldn't listen to him. Until you came eventually to a point where you realized that what was stopping you wasn't your questions, not at all. You said what was stopping you was your pride. You didn't want to hear God. You didn't want God to be right and you to be wrong. I thought that was an incredibly, incredibly uh, uh, right observation because isn't that actually the story of every one of us in some shape or form? Don't we all have to decide which God we'd prefer? A God of our making, who fits nicely into our world, but who'll let us down, who makes a mockery of the true God and a mockery of ourselves, who's a burden to us, who can't defend us, who can't guide us, who can't save us, and who in the end will be swept away and us with it. Or are we going to choose for ourselves the true God living God who speaks, whose words and actions are united, who through Jesus tells us exactly what he's like, who through Jesus calls out our rebellion and yet nonetheless dies for our rebellion and our rejection of him, a God who holds justice and compassion and brings them perfectly together so that we can know him truly be forgiven by him and live with him loved forever. I've got to choose which God, the real one or a God of our own making. God, he speaks to us still. He still says to us, today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Let me pray for us. Father, you are the God who sees our hearts, who knows our hearts. Lord, you know that without you they are hard. Lord, you know that we do not naturally want to hear your voice, that we are uncomfortable with, with what you say to us. You are too holy for us, too compassionate. And yet, Lord, we thank you so much that in Jesus you have softened our hearts. By your Holy Spirit, you have opened our ears to hear you, to know you, to see that you are far more beautiful and wonderful than any God that we could invent. 
Lord, help us as your people not to try and uh, close our ears when you speak to us. Lord, help us to turn away from that, to keep turning away from that, and to keep listening to you, the true God, the living, speaking God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.